Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Strand. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Over the past decade or so, American popular culture has embraced a new Christmas figure, or at least one new to us. We already have several. Santa, his elves, Rudolph, the other eight tiny reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, the Grinch, and Ralphie from A Christmas Story. But the new guy is having a moment. He's been having a moment. You've probably seen him. He has big horns, sharp pointy teeth, matted black fur. He carries whips and chains, and he looks like a mashup of a yeti, a goat, a demon, and Santa himself. He is, of course, the Krampus, and he's been everywhere. The Krampus lends a certain darkness to Christmas that the holiday hasn't really had in the United States recently, and I think that might account for his recent popularity over here. But he is not the only Christmas monster. He has relatives. He has a whole family. And today, I want to talk about Krampus and his brothers and sister. Those monsters who do certain things that Saint Nick can't. These five monsters I'm going to talk about today come from a part of the world that has created lots of dark, confusing, and terrifying things. Germany. And the Krampus is probably the most famous because he has his own holiday. It's December 5th. What's important about that is December 6th is the Feast of St. Nicholas. And, in some parts of Europe, is the Feast of St. Nicholas when kids get presents. St. Nicholas is the patron saint of children, and, rather than Santa Claus putting presents in your stocking on Christmas, St. Nicholas puts goodies in your shoes on his feast day. A magical Turkish bishop goes around, invades homes, and deposits sweets and money and very small gifts inside the footwear of good children everywhere. But, before the righteous can be rewarded, the unworthy must be purged. Hence the Krampus. To make sure that St. Nicholas doesn't accidentally reward any bad boys and girls, the Krampus goes about whipping, chaining, beating, and dragging to hell all of the kids who've been disobedient, loud, unruly, and otherwise non-rule following. December 5th is known as Krampusnacht, which I'm probably mispronouncing. I am so sorry, German speakers. And in many German towns, you'll see people dressed as Krampuses, with the horns and the chains and the rest of it, going through streets, being unruly, being oftentimes pretty drunk, playing around with lit torches, yelling at people, and, unfortunately, sometimes actually hurting others, because that's what happens when a bunch of people dress up as demons, whip themselves up into a frenzy, get drunk, and convince themselves that raising hell is actually kind of a fun thing to do. Krampusnacht has a checkered reputation in Germany. It's really easy to sit here in the United States and look at it and think it looks like fun, and it does. But over in Germany, it seems to be kind of an amped-up version of SantaCon. 
you've seen SantaCon. It's those pub crawls where everyone dresses up as Santa, goes from bar to bar, gets absolutely obliterated, and many, many Santas behave in distinctly unsanta-like ways. Krampusnacht is like that, but with people carrying whips and chains and fire and switches and the rest of it. Apparently it still happens, but German towns have cracked down on it somewhat, and now it's becoming more and more common for Krampuses to have to wear numbers or name tags or some kind of identification. So if anything actually unsafe happens, people will know which drunken Christmas demon is actually responsible. But, I digress. The point of the Krampus is that he weeds out the unworthy before the good stuff comes. The Krampus drags bad kids to hell before good kids get stuff in their shoes. By the way, that does not seem balanced. In this telling of the story, the bad kids get literally dragged to a flaming underworld, and the good kids get a couple coins in their shoes. The scales seem skewed a certain way, carrot and stick-wise. But anyway, Krampus is not alone. There's also Frau Perkta, or Berkta. It is spelled variously with a P or a B. And she is a Christmas monster who is mostly associated with Epiphany. See, the Feast of the Three Kings, in some parts of Europe, is another date on which children get presents. The idea being that that's when Jesus got his Christmas presents, so, hey, everyone else, they can wait too. Frau Perkta, or Berkta, is a terrifying wilderness witch, and she has a very specific way of punishing all of the bad children. That is, slicing their bellies open, taking out all the delicious food they've eaten, replacing it with garbage, and then stitching them back up. But... Frau Perkta, the terrifying wilderness witch, does not use a needle and thread to sew her victims back up. Oh no, she uses a plowshare. So when she's done with you, you are still alive. You are filled with straw and nails and broken glass, and you feel that inside of you. And you also feel the wounds of being sewn up using a plowshare by a terrifying hag from the dark wilderness beyond the edges of your village. She seems fun. Like the Krampus, people dress up as Frau Perkta, or Berkta, and she has a tradition of being a shapeshifter. Oftentimes with Frau Berkta costumes, one foot is slightly larger than the other. That is supposed to be her tell. So even as she shifts shape, you can always tell it's her by seeing the asymmetrical feet. Krampus and Frau Perkta are both supernatural monsters. They have powers, they're magic, they have access to hell and shape-shifting and are kind of demonic. And in our horrific monster pantheon, if they are like Dracula or the Mummy, the next three guys I want to talk about are more like Mike Myers or Jason Voorhees. Does Jason Voorhees have supernatural powers? I want to say no, but he's basically a zombie. It doesn't really matter. Those movies aren't good anyway. Anyway, a common theme here, a very repetitive theme, is that these creatures, these monsters, are St. Nick's bad cops. And Necht Ruprecht is St. Nick's bad cop most of all. Unlike the Krampus or Frau Perkta, 
who work pretty independently of St. Nicholas, Nectruprecht is St. Nicholas's manservant, who is often accompanying St. Nicholas, who is a bishop. And if you've ever seen a Christmassy St. Nicholas, it's kind of like seeing a bishopy Santa. The real St. Nicholas was a bishop. He was from Turkey. He had all sorts of thoughts about, you know, when Pentecost should be and that kind of thing. And nowadays, when he's portrayed all Christmas-like, he is usually shown wearing red bishop's robes. Nectruprecht is often wearing simpler brown robes, and he is the guy who rolls up his sleeves and does what the fancy bishop won't. He will ask children, do you know how to pray? And if the children say, yes, we do, he'll reward them, maybe, with a coin or a sweet But if not, if they don't know how to pray, he will beat them senseless with a bag of ashes. I do not think that being beaten with a bag of ashes is an effective way of teaching children how to commune with the divine, but apparently lots of people in Germany think otherwise. Anyway, Belschnickel is a very similar figure to Nectruprecht and the next guy I'm going to talk about. He fulfills the exact same role, except he has a whip. Belschnickel, evil whip Santa. That's basically all about him you need to know. And that makes him very similar, though not as cool as the next guy, Père Foutard, or Whip Father. This guy is French, or rather Alsatian. He is from the part of France that is almost Germany, or the part of Germany that is almost France, depending on how you quantify these things. And he is maybe my favorite Christmas monster here because he's got a backstory. The story is that the Whip Father was once a simple butcher. One day, three young boys came into his butcher shop, and he decided that they looked rather tasty, so he slit their throats, dismembered them, and stuffed their cut-apart bodies into a barrel. He let it stew there. Fortunately, St. Nicholas just happened to be in the area and sensed something was amiss. The saint took off his bishop's mitre and put on his detective hat and soon discovered the crime. Using, I guess, Christmas magic? Was able to resurrect the three children and extract a confession from the butcher. The butcher fell to his knees, begged the saint for forgiveness, and he said, You may be forgiven, but you must serve me eternally. And so now, Père Foutard, the whip father, is St. Nicholas's servant, putting his dark sadistic talents at the disposal of the patron saint of children. Like Belschnickel, like Nectruprecht, he is the closed fist to St. Nicholas's open hand. He's often portrayed accompanying St. Nicholas, carrying a whip and also a bundle of sticks on his back, implements of punishment and retribution that always accompany the potential beneficence of St. Nick. Now, it's fun to look at these monsters and think about just how gnarly and evil they are, but I want to keep a few things in mind. Thing one, mythology has blurry edges, and it's impossible to say sometimes where exactly one figure ends and another begins. Belschnickel, basically evil whip Santa, and whip father are extremely similar. 
They're also from basically the same geographic area, and lots of things said about one could apply to the other. Also, these things vary across time and space. We know that Frau Berchte has been popular, for example, in Austria, in northern Italy, in southern Germany, for hundreds of years. But the Frau Berchte that was talked about and celebrated by somebody in northern Italy in the 1600s could be very different from the Frau Berchte that somebody talked about and celebrated in Austria in the late 1800s. They might be related and thematically similar, but it's hard to say that they are a single unitary thing, if that makes any sense. And one version is just as valid as the other. So when I'm summing up these monsters on this podcast, remind yourself that you're not getting the entire story. And when it comes to folklore like this, no one can get the entire story. They are always being iterated. They are always changing. There is nothing that is really canonical. Mythology has blurry edges. However, that hasn't stopped some people from, when categorizing mythology, to try to de-blur it. And one of the big mythological de-blurrers out there is Jacob Grimm. Jacob Grimm is one of the Grimm brothers, them of the fairy tales. And a big source for Frau Berchte and Nectruprecht is Jacob Grimm's book, German Mythology or it's sometimes translated as Teutonic mythology. In that book, Grimm was trying to create a national German mythology. At the time, Germany was going from a collection of independent regions and coagulating into a single nation-state. Jacob Grimm, in his work, tried to find commonalities between the regions and the peoples that we now consider German. A big part of doing that was saying, oh, look, we have all of these similar stories with similar elements that seem to represent a kind of Germanness that we are just now giving a name to. Also, Grimm was known for imposing his own 19th century Protestant values on a lot of those stories. And a recurring theme of the unworthy getting weeded out and punished before the righteous get their reward, well, that is consistent with Jacob Grimm's Protestant German values, and subsequent versions of these monsters were influenced and were changed by that really prominent version. Jacob Grimm wrote the version of what previously had been blurry. In doing so, he preserved the stories, but he also kind of ossified them. He gave them structure and meaning that used to be kind of fuzzy and unfuzzed it. And now, when we pick up these stories today, we have to grapple with that quote-unquote official version of them that was written down. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't write down folktales. We should. But keep in mind that when you do that, you are only getting a certain moment in time of the story. Krampus and company are definitely figures kids can enjoy. Fear is interesting and being scared is fun. But like the best kid stuff, they are also figures that adults can enjoy. After all, it's adults who dress up in those monster costumes on Krampusnacht, or who dress up as Frau Berchte. It's adults who tell their children about Nectruprecht or Belschnickel or the Whipfather. It's adults who perpetuate the tales and say, be good or they'll get you. And seeing children respond with fear 
can lend you a certain sadistic glee. It might make you a terrible parent, but it's also kind of fun. Lastly, though, these monsters give Christmas variation. Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of year, filled with families, togetherness, firelight, parties, joy, carols, and all of it. And that stuff is great. However, overwhelming positivity can grind you down. Too much happiness can, in a way, feel monotonous. You want something with a certain amount of tension. You want something with a certain amount of darkness. You want something with a certain amount of danger. Krampus gives you that. Krampus gives you an escape. Krampus is a form and shape for your inner demons. When Christmas stuff is getting to you, when you've heard some bad Muzak version of Silent Night echo through a mall through the hundredth time, when you're trying to shop for that hard-to-shop-for relative, when you have to make conversation with your party guest about how you're doing and how your career is going, when you have to go to a party that you rather wouldn't, it's good to have a seasonal figure that looks and feels like you do. I think we've all been there. I think we have all felt a little grinchy, a little ebenezer a little krampus And even though the Krampus that's become popular in the United States doesn't drag children to hell, it's nice having him around, a guy who's got your back when you're not feeling great about Christmas. But I hope you're feeling great about this podcast, and as always, it is a listener-supported show, so if you enjoy it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a regular supporter. Thank you, all of you who give the gift of support every single month. I couldn't do this without you. Also, uh, if you have opinions about the show, if you have thoughts on it, go over to Apple Podcast. Give us stars and words. That helps other people discover the program. I am on social media. I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert, at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T. Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.